It's a very easy thing to be a critic. And I'm all sure that we have found ourselves on occasions where we've been critical of something or of someone. And perhaps afterwards we realize that we were wrong in our criticism. We have done it without thinking, without thinking through the whole scene that has been before us. It's easy to be critical. It's certainly easy from the sidelines. We all know this if we're involved uh, or if you have an interest in sport. The, the critic from the side, the touchline, can often give off to the referee or he can speak about some of the players. Why did you not do this? Or you should have moved that direction. All kinds of criticisms. But if you're standing on the pitch with their view, you might have a very different take on the matter. So be careful about criticism. Criticism is a destructive thing. Criticism within the church is very destructive. It fractures the church. It drives division into the church and splits what should be a harmonious corporate body of people. And what we need to be is certainly not to be armchair critics. But rather, we are to use, as the words of Scripture tell us, words that build up rather than tear down. We need to be careful to assess if what we're thinking is in fact the right thing. Is it does that person, that attitude, that thing need me to speak or am I to keep counsel? This evening we turn to the book of Acts in chapter 11 and Peter is being criticized by the Jews. Here, once again, we are dealing with the same development in the life of the church and it underscores the importance of the step change that's taking place in this whole account with Cornelius because this is the, 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 the third time we come to an account of what has happened. And we need to note that this is so important and God is emphasizing, if you like, that the, the word is now for go abroad to all who would hear and not simply for the Jew. In fact, it is from the Jews that the criticism comes. And here is the theme really. This proportion, verses 1 to 13 of chapter 11, is really all about Peter answering his critics. And he does so in a wonderful way. And so we want to begin, first of all, to think about the critics and their criticism. And we find that at the very beginning of the chapter. Uh, the apostles, the brothers throughout Judea have heard what has happened. The Gentiles have received the message and the Spirit has been poured out. And in chapter 10, verse 27, we note that what has been said, you are well aware that it was against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. That's Peter's own words. He knows that as he speaks to Cornelius, this was something outside Jewish tradition. This was something that broke 
the very rules by which Peter and the Jews had lived. And as he comes to Jerusalem, he finds that that is the very thing as a stumbling block to some of the believers there from the Jewish faith. For they say, and we read uh, as he comes up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. And what do they criticize him about? Well, we read what they say. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And they're critical of him because he has done the very thing that their thinking is against. That you should associate with a Gentile, those filthy, dirty Gentiles who have really nothing to do with our God. We are opposed to them. We don't really want anything to do with them. And to eat with them, particularly, was to associate with them in far too close a way. You see, the background, the entrenched prejudice that is shown in this criticism comes out as they speak. And they can't see beyond that. Now, all of those rules, that criticism, was not founded on anything that we could take from the Word of God. These were things that they had brought in for themselves, trying to guard themselves from the intenting of sin and from what the Gentiles might bring. There were things that were really added on, but it was a deep-rooted prejudice. And the critics come to Peter with that very thing. And Peter in his own mind knows exactly what they're thinking because as I've said, he was even able to say to Cornelius, look, this is me stepping outside the bounds of my usual place, of my usual thoughts. I wonder, are you a critic? may not be like these critics, but we have our own preconceived ideas. We have built up our own way of thinking. Sometimes we see people do things and we maybe have an unspoken thought in our minds. They're not acting the way they should. And yet, there's no reason for us to say that they shouldn't act in that particular way. Peter was very clear that he had to do what was God's will. And the law of man had to give way. And the prejudice had to be overcome that he should go and preach to the Cornelius and his Gentile friends and family. The prejudices that we have can be of like mind. You and I must be free to speak to people even though there may be those who will look at us and say, well, don't know why you're talking to him. We could take one example. It's maybe not a very good example, but we'll run with it anyway. If you see someone going, who you know to be an upright Christian person, someone you have looked up to, you see them either going into a public house or coming out of it, and your immediate reaction is horror. What are they doing in there? Perhaps this is not such a prejudice as strong as it might once have been. But is that not how we, we almost react? And we'll be critical of them. Because that's a place associated with too much alcohol, 
with lewd behavior, lewd music perhaps, gambling even, things that we know are contrary to what is good for the people of God. But we don't know the whole story. And what is it that stops a person from entering such an establishment? The Word of God doesn't say, don't do that. And maybe if we knew the whole story, we would not be as critical. We would not immediately be anathema. Perhaps that person has been in to speak to those people who need to hear the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think that is the place we need to go, to where the people are, that we need to go and tell them that they're wasting their living and their time and they need to hear the message of love in Christ. And when we take that into account, rather than be critical, we should be prayerful. Rather than think that we shouldn't let them be going there, we should be upholding them and maybe going with them to encourage them. That's just one example. But we all have our own notions and prejudice. We shouldn't speak to this group of people. Or we shouldn't go into that particular area. Those people are beyond salvation. Let's never say that. Let's never think that. Because God has shown no favoritism. And the gospel is to be declared to others, to all. Peter was criticized. Let's be careful that we are not critics and criticizing in a wrong way. Let me just say with regards to that example, Perhaps if we feel burdened by that, we should go and speak to such a person whom we see in that way. We maybe need to learn. And perhaps if they are in difficulty, perhaps if they are doing something wrong, they need you as a friend and believer to say to them, well now let's just think about what you're doing. Let's just ask them, are you doing what is right in the sight of God? But that leads me secondly to think about Peter's explanation. And Peter has a very good explanation. In fact, we could say for Peter, his explanation is very easy because he has already been led by the Spirit. God has spoken clearly to him and his explanation is simple. He simply explains his experience. And all Peter has to do is recount each step of the way. He says, this is what happened. But you know, the amazing thing is that the scripture doesn't just say, well, Peter told them what happened. But in fact, it records once again all that happened. Verse 4 sums it up. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. But the scripture doesn't stop there and then move on to the conclusion, which it might have done. Because that we, we know we've just read in chapter 10 all that happened. But this is the second account where Peter outlines exactly what God had done. The vision of the sheep being let down. And especially of how he was thinking, Lord, 
I've never eaten anything impure and unclean. But what did God's word, and this is recorded again by Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And you see, Peter and the Spirit of God in the Scripture is emphasizing this point again. Peter, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And that includes not just animals and food, that includes especially the Gentiles and Cornelius, whose messengers are at your very door. And interestingly, when he tells us about Cornelius' side of the story, it's actually the third occasion when this is recorded. Remember, we have it recorded as it happened. When Peter asks him why he called him in chapter 10, Cornelius tells him the story again. And now Peter recounts it here in Jerusalem. And why is this important? Because Cornelius was the Gentile. Cornelius was the God-fearing man who saw the angel of God and who was told to send Peter. And here again in verse 14, what was he to do? He was to send for Simon, who is called Peter. Verse 14, he will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. And here's a God-fearing Gentile man, and this is how God has spoken to him. And because it's the third time it's repeated, the emphasis is clear. The gospel goes to all. And so under the leading of the Spirit, this has all happened, and Peter simply records and explains this is how it came about. And of course, we'll come to his conclusion in a moment, but There's only one conclusion that could be drawn. So the word of God is recounted by Peter. Peter's reason is clear and distinct. The application, obvious. Now sometimes we might say, well, when we're criticized, it's a bit more difficult to give explanation. There are so many nuances in our lives. There's the argument about the weaker brother and that may apply to what we're thinking about in illustration. There are those who have different thoughts and come at things from a different perspective and different background and we're to be concerned about them and how we deal with them. It's maybe not as easy in some ways to to answer our critics. But I think Peter helps us because what is his focus His focus is on the message of salvation that was to be given. He said, the key thing there was for me to go and tell them the message of salvation. That's what God told Cornelius Peter would bring. A household, you and your household will be saved through that message. And friends, that's where we need sometimes to be more focused that we are to focus on the message of God, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And all have the right to hear that message. And sometimes the answer to our critics is simply to say to them, I'm simply bringing the message in a way and in a place 
where God has led me to tell people of their need of salvation. The gospel was for the Jew, but it now was also for the Gentile, wherever they were to be found, regardless of their past. Any prejudices of the apostles were to be swept away by the ministry of the word to others. And so we need to focus on the message of God. We need to give clear testimony. And if we are called by God to do a work that some people might raise an eyebrow at, some people might even criticize, let's begin by telling them what we're doing. And saying to them, look, if you don't like this, well, but surely how can you not agree that we should go and tell the message of the gospel? The very need of the souls of these people lies in the message we are there to commit to them. And so Peter, in expressing this to his critics, helps us in how we might answer those who would criticize. But we need to be active in making the gospel known. We need to explain our answer, uh, uh, to, to those who may have hang-ups and preconceived prejudices that we would take them along with us, that they would see it's all for God's glory. Then thirdly, we want to note how Peter comes to the conclusion. There's quite a long section there dealing with the recounting of the story, but he brings it to a conclusion. He has retold the story. And part of the conclusion, of course, was that the Spirit was poured out on Cornelius and his household and friends. Absolutely amazing. Peter says, as I spoke, I saw the Spirit come just as it had happened to us. And in the conclusion, Peter takes that and he says, look, I remember, I remember when Jesus was here. What did he say to us? Verse 16, Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying that's, that's what Jesus said would happen. This is just exactly what Jesus spoke about. People who come to true faith will have the Spirit of God in them and dwelling in them. Then Peter drives home the conclusion. So, if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? To think that I could oppose God. That's the conclusion. Peter's saying to them, look, if God has acted in this way, and obviously it is God, the Spirit has been there. I couldn't manufacture this. Cornelius and his friends will tell you what has happened, and you will see the change in their lives. This isn't some man-made thing. This is no fake uh, matter. God has acted. And if I oppose this, I'm opposing God. And he's really saying to his critics, you need to get on board because this is the work of the living God. And so his conclusion is pretty forceful in that way. 
No wonder are we opposing God in any way because we're not in his side seeking to do the work or critical of work when we ought to be supporting it. The power and evidence here was unmistakable and the conclusion could not be avoided. Let us proclaim the gospel today. And when people respond to the message, let us pray for them. Perhaps it's a bit more difficult for us. We remember Jesus telling the parable of the sower and the seed. Four kinds of soil. Some of the seed fell by the pathway, did no good. Some of it, however, sprung up in the stony ground, but very quickly it withered. We might have people who make a profession and we think, are they, are they believers or not? Well, we'll soon find out. If it's stony ground, they will soon shrivel up and go back to their old ways. Then there's the thorny ground. The seed sown grows up, but so do the cares of the world. And it's choked. And we may have people that we speak to and they want to believe. But when, they're, when you're not holding their hand and leading them day by day, there's too much going on in the world. And gradually, while they may have come to worship, at the beginning, that becomes intermittent. And then not at all. Because they have no real love for God. The Spirit is not at work. Then with the good ground, and when we sow the seed, that's what we long to see. We long to see a spiritual work that brings people out of darkness to come and hear the gospel. We long for the kind of conclusion that Peter was able to say, look, the Spirit was poured out. It was the power of God at work. My challenge to you is this. Are you praying? Are you praying for the work of God and the work of God's Spirit? We cannot manufacture believers. We cannot make the seed of the word bear fruit by clever arguments or by anything else. The only way it will bear fruit is if God in his power is at work. And we need to be doing that. We need to be praying earnestly for God to be at work in those whom we know, in those whom we witness to. We may have to put up with disappointments. There will be those who show no regard. There will be those who might show some regard, but they'll soon smother out and die away. There may be those who go on for a little longer, but then life takes over and the family and the sport and their finances and all those other things choke out the very life of the Spirit of God. We may have those disappointments, but are we praying? Are you praying for the power of God to be at work. So we could say to people, look, this is the Lord's work. Look at that person. They're changed and transformed to the glory of God. Peter was able to conclude, you see, by saying, God has, has done a work. And to oppose it would be to oppose Him. Then lastly, I want to think for a moment about Peter's success Perhaps the wrong title in one sense because it is, of course, God's success. It is God who gives the grace to these people. And what a wonderful thing it is to read verse 18. 
When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Their prejudice has been swept away, and they're maybe still coming to terms with it, but God has been at work. And they have seen that Cornelius and the Gentiles are as deserving of the gospel as they are. And no doubt, as Jewish believers, they had still things to learn, as we all do. But what a, what a victory. What a success in turning the critic around and bringing these people who were Christ's people to understand the broader context, to realize that those rules of their Jewish prejudice had to be turned aside. Here's a point we ought to take on board. There are times when we can have our reservations about others and their methods and what they're saying even at times. But if they have the core of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if they know that man is saved by Jesus alone and take him to be the way, the truth and the life, we are at one with them. Whatever notions we may have about other things, we need to be in unity and jealousies, prejudices in the Christian family should be thrown aside that we might work together. Yes, we have our particular nuances, our distinctive principles. We're bound by conscience to those things. But there are many, many with whom we should fellowship. And we must not cut them off simply because we are not just exactly, or they're not just like us. We long to see the kingdom of God built. But there are more builders than just us. So let us be praying also for others. So that when people are saved, we can say, Blessed be God. They too have heard the message of Jesus Christ. Glory and honor to his great name. What a wonderful thing that Peter was able to explain to the church these matters. His critics came to him. He was able to explain clearly all God's leading. And that led to his conclusion, the power of God has been at work. Don't oppose him. And then there is the success. They're at one with all, together, a unity serving the Master. Amen.